Welcome to the Sales Career Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Hopp. Whether you're an executive, sales leader, or just getting your career in sales started, I'm here to help you read between the lines and hear the real stories that you can't get from a resume or from a LinkedIn profile, all designed to help you shape your own sales career. Let's dive right into today's episode and see what we can learn. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of the Sales Career Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Hopp. My guest today is a gentleman I've been following on LinkedIn for a bit here, and he's becoming a bit of an influencer in a few different spaces that we're going to talk about today. He's got a background in a few different areas of software, including sales development for a, a, a couple of big companies, a couple of well-known companies in the SaaS space. Currently the CEO and founder of his own tech startup. Really excited to hear that story and how that how that came around and how he got to where he is today. Everybody welcome the great and powerful Matthew Provins. How we doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. Glad we can connect. Um, you're in the dialing space. It's safe mm-hmm. to say I'm in the dialing space as well. <laughs> uh, not not with my own company or anything like that. I'm just a cold calling freak. And uh, I've seen your technology and I think that it's 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 going to be really transformational for what's going on. Why don't we start there? You know, what, what are you doing today? And, you know, tell everybody kind of your your two minute career stories if they've never heard of you before. Yeah. So really quickly, I've been in the SaaS space for about two years now, um, started as a sales rep and quickly made my way up to leadership and uh, decided to launch my own SaaS company. It's always been my dream to kind of be my own boss and build up myself in the tech world. Um, you know, growing up with a father who's a software developer and a mother who's a teacher, they both had to make their own way in life. Um, Want to do the same for myself. Um, I've been very familiar with the dialing space, um, started my career in politics. So I've been using a dialer for almost eight years now actually. Um, so I've been using that technology since um, it was really, really bad. Uh, uh, you know, there, there there haven't been a whole lot of improvements, sadly, in the past eight years. And so I wanted to build a new tool that everybody could use. Um, and like you said, it'd be transformational for the space. Right on, right on. Yeah, it's interesting that it's starting to really take off. Like the, I, I think, um, I think sales as a profession, the more that SaaS grows and that remote work becomes a big deal, it's harder and harder to build that like bullpen culture of a noisy sales floor, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I've seen those, I've been in those, um, you know, I, I, you, you've only been in the SaaS space for like for a few years here, but like when I started in the SaaS space eight years ago, like in-person, like big call center type areas, are were like the, the standard and yeah. you didn't need fancy dialing tech because it's like this like hardcore nature of like pick up the phone and dial and everybody's talking at once and it, there's like music playing and it's like this whole culture now the question is like shoot well how do we get that vibe when you're sitting in your room alone what what we found in the pandemic right away is that people will find any excuse not to make their calls you know, yep. Particularly if they could walk the dog, particularly if they could turn on Netflix, particularly if they're in their boxers, right? They're like not they're not as engaged of an employee as they once were. So the evolution of dialing technology is is probably, I would argue, as a, as a cold calling geek, like one of the more positive things to happen to sales development and outbound sales in the last 10 years. And it came about because of COVID. 
because yeah. of this idea that you got to make it really easy, you know? So, yeah. so tell me a little bit like, so you've had a few different sales roles. Like what, what's a sales job that you had so far that's the, that was really challenging? What, what was the most challenging role of your career? I think moving into the role of becoming an SDR manager, it was probably the hardest role I've been in so far. Um, there's a couple of big reasons to that. One, I've never been in leadership in SaaS before. I've, I've helped run political campaigns, but this is of a much different caliber. Um, you know, I, when I was transitioning to becoming that manager, um, not only was I still kind of working within that SDR role almost full time, but also now managing that team for the, the CEO. Um, and so basically I was doing two jobs for one, right? Uh, yeah. during, during the first three months of that role. Um, it was extremely difficult um, trying to keep track of my own time, manage my own time while managing everybody else's time um, at the same time, right? It, it was kind yeah. of insane, but I learned a ridiculous amount as well during that period of time um, from my colleagues, uh, from the SDRs that I was working with, because uh, pretty much every single one of them had been on the ground floor with me as an SDR before I was promoted. Yeah. Um, and so I got to learn a lot about them, um, the best way to kind of manage people. Um, in the SaaS space and uh, really allowed me to progress my career very quickly from that point forward. Um, but yeah, uh, becoming an SDR manager is the hardest thing for me. It's, it really is a, a shift in mindset, you know, and I had a sales manager early in my career, you know, what was interesting, like, I, and I've told this story many times in this podcast, like when I was in SDR, which was 2015, um, I didn't have an SDR manager. I didn't even have a VP of sales. They, the company I worked for raised a series A and they hired 10 SDRs and they had eight account executives and they all reported to the CEO. Mm. So it's like one of these classic cases of not understanding how to play the game. And the CEO had yeah. too much of this like puppet effect where he like wanted to be con in control of everybody. And it was like, all right, how am I going to learn? But I, yeah. we had a senior sales guy who was like not in charge of us, but would like help us out and stuff. And he was in the channel sales division. And I remember him saying, because I remember, like I thought to myself after getting on LinkedIn and like seeing what the like the the world of sales was about. I'm like, I want to be a VP of sales. Like a VP of sales would be a really cool job, you know. And then I told him that, and he said, "Dude, you don't want to be in leadership. Leadership sucks. Le leadership is people, and leadership is dealing with people's problems all the time." And selling is actually really fun. And it's been interesting because I do find, and, and tell me your, your thoughts on this. Like, I find that there are some people, like you don't have to be one type of leader is what I'm trying to say. There are some people like me who I lead by thinking about enablement first, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've worked for executives and VPs and people like that that, that, that say, Oh, I'm a good leader. Yeah. I, I check in with you 17 times a day to make sure you're doing your stupid work. And that's what leadership is. You know, and yeah. I, I've worked for that guy and quit. <laughs> so I'm like, holy cow, it sucks. You know, I'm, I think of it the opposite where I say, Hey, I'm going to get my job is, is to enable you, enable your success. When I manage teams, I say, look, I'm going to line up everything for you. I'm going to give you all the tools you need to succeed. I'm going to teach you and train you how to use them. So you're not showing up every day thinking, how do I do this? I need you to execute. And then I'm going to meet with you once a week. And we're going to talk about accountability. And if you're having trouble managing time, we'll talk about that differently. But I'm not standing over your desk. I'm not checking on Slack to make sure that you're active all the time. I'm not doing that. Like 
when I found out that you can be a different kind of leader is when I realized I actually do want to go into leadership because the actual selling part of it for me was always so challenging because every every job I went to, I was the new guy. And for at least a year, I'd get like no inbound leads and yeah. have to go prospect and prospect and prospect. So I, I had this blurred sense of like what sales versus sales development was because I was constantly just doing sales development work as a account executive. And then I was a senior account executive and I was just all that, all that I was really doing was cold calling and cold emailing all day, every day. I very rarely got to sell. So I don't know. Like, what, what do you think? Are, are there more than one ways to manage a SDR team? Yeah. I mean, I think that different managing styles can definitely be efficient and work. However, in order to be at least a decent leader to start, you need to be proactive in your leadership, not retroactive. Um, too many leaders, like you said, will go in and check on you, right? 17 times a day, right? That's being retroactive. Yeah. Um, or, you know, they'll just go and listen to your cold call recordings, look at your emails that you've sent out, and then give feedback afterwards, right? The best way to make sure a rep is enabled to be successful is by giving them the, the materials that they need ahead of time um, and be able to replicate those processes. Um, one of the, I'm going to say something that's a little bit controversial. A lot of people say that the SDR role is the hardest role. I don't agree with that. Okay. I, I agree with it in a sense that that is very dependent upon who your leader is. If you have okay. a good leader, the SDR role is not going to be hard, right? But if you don't have a good leader and you're working at a brand new company, a startup, which is where most of these opinions are formed. Um, that's, yeah. that's where I've mostly worked. Right? I've, I've only yeah. worked with one somewhat large company. Um, I can tell you the culture and the support you're given is completely different, yeah. right? Um, and a lot of these SDRs are coming into the tech space for the growth, Right. They're not really looking at the stability a lot of the time, or at least the, when they open their eyes, they realize there isn't really stability. You're there for growth. Um, and, you know, working at a startup is extraordinarily difficult, no matter what role you're in. And I think that's where the ideal of um, the SR role is the hardest role, because tech space, the, at least that you and I have been in, hasn't really been around for that long compared to other industries in the world, right? And so yeah. being this young, there's not a lot of enablement that isn't in existence yet. And so you have to look at companies like Zoom Info or Salesforce. You know, we could even go, you know, with like maybe Demand Science and Doso Reprise, where they do have good structures in place for their employees. And it's a lot easier to be an SDR. Um, and so I don't think anything is truly black and white when it comes to either leading or how difficult a role is. I think it's very dependent upon the niche, um, your leader, and the effort that you're willing to put in yourself. On um, that's, yeah. Very true. I, I, I absolutely agree with you that it, it really depends on where you are. And, and it's it's interesting, you know, you brought up the idea that this is like a young profession, right? It's like, mm -hmm. hasn't been around that long. <clears throat> it reminds me of, 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 of another story I've told in this podcast before about like when I was an SDR, one of the things that my, that, that senior sales leader guy who was not my sales leader that I was just talking about earlier at an all hands meeting, he said the line at all hands. So there's like 80 people in the company. We're all in one room. You know, he said, yeah, this SDR experiment that we've been running is working out great. <laughs> and I said, ex ex did he say experiment? Experiment? <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you telling me that like you're not sure what was going to happen when you hired eight people and they quit their jobs and came to work for you? And like I'm working for you full time and I'm giving you 50 hours a week. And that always blew my mind that this idea of like, 
so many organizations start from this place of, I have to invent the wheel here. Like, and, and so it, it actually, you know, if you think about it, like that dovetails really nicely into what I do today. Like, that's what I do today. I help, I help employee or I help small companies go from that idea of like, I don't have a sales development team. I don't know how to enable a team or what I should look for in a hire or how to train and develop talent. And mm -hmm. I answer all those questions for them, turn key out of the box, like ready to rock. Cause I've done it 12 times now. Right. So the whole idea is yeah. like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to just go buy a bunch of books and say, okay, I'm going to learn about sales development today. Like there are people out there that can help you do that. Or you could hire a seasoned leader. Right. And I think in the case of, you know, that company I was working for at the time, they probably should have hired a seasoned leader. I yeah. should have hired somebody who's like, Dude, I've, I've, I've done this before. Trust me, here's the blueprint. And the blueprint always gets changed along the way, which is what I tell my consulting clients. Like, here's the blueprint. I don't know if we're going to stick to it 100%, but I'm going to make decisions based on actual experience, not based on hypothesis. Like, anytime you call somebody an experiment, that's not a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. And you know something I mean? else I'd like to speak on is just yeah. in the last two years alone of me being in SaaS, there have been drastic changes to how the industry functions as a whole, right? Two years ago, the influencers and how they influenced the LinkedIn sales community was completely different than today, right? Today, people are can be hired directly off of how big their LinkedIn presence is. Um, right. And I've seen that do great things for companies, and I've seen that annihilate companies, yeah. right? And I think that goes along with the same lines. Uh, we were talking about the leadership um, and enablement is <laughs> a lot of these people are looking for surface value things. Right. They're like, oh, my God, X, Y, Z person on LinkedIn. Right. They've done all these amazing things out of the organization. Um, but then you go and look at their experience and it's three months, three months, three months, three months. Um, I always find that really funny. Uh, but the, the biggest thing for me, when you're kind of trying to delve deeply into what these sales leaders you know, or the people that call themselves sales leaders have done um, is exactly how they've left that organization. I think that's the most vital thing to look at when you're hiring for a sales leader. Like somebody like you, right? I I, mm -hmm. I know you somewhat, right? We, this isn't mm -hmm. the first time we've spoken. I yeah. feel like I could trust you to bring you on as a sales leader for my company. Um, yeah. But the average LinkedIn influencer, I'd be very, very hesitant to hire them. Yeah. Right? Well, I think that that's one of the biggest changes I've seen on LinkedIn in the past two years. Yeah. I, I mean, if we're going to talk about LinkedIn, like we're, we're entering this phase, Matthew, that, that I call, and I, I talk about this in the shadowy corners of LinkedIn with, with various people that I can be honest with, right? And I'll, I'll be honest with you and I'll be honest with my audience here. Uh, if everybody's an influencer, is anybody an influencer, right? So like we've, we've entered this like era of like social selling playbooks where it's no longer about making connections on LinkedIn and sharing insightful things with your prospects. The whole idea is like, cool, you want to sell the sales and marketing? Just start posting and acting like you're important. And the algorithm can be gamed and people are gaming it. You know, yeah. I, I, you see it all the time. And I, I know these people and you know these people that are gaming the algorithm and getting all the likes, all the comments, all the engagement. And it just puts them up on a pedestal and people associate, oh, this is LinkedIn. They must be really good at their job if they're so important, if they're yeah. so popular. It's a popularity contest, right? Where, yeah. you know, I, I also have this theory that I talk about, once again, the dark corners of LinkedIn, that like the very best sales leaders and salespeople out there have less than a thousand LinkedIn connections, like the very best. 
like the the real killers are not are, are not even on LinkedIn. They're not even they're not even playing the game. Why? Because they're not on the field, dude. They're playing a higher game. They're playing a game that's actually won in boardrooms, right? They're closing mm-hmm. giant deals. And one of the guys I had in this podcast was Ian Koniak. I don't know. Do you follow Ian? Yeah. Yeah. So he he's a really good example. He didn't have really a personal brand on LinkedIn or anything like that when he was at Salesforce, you know, being the number one enterprise account executive at, at Salesforce, making seven figure paychecks. He wasn't big on LinkedIn. Now he mm-hmm. is because all he does is sales training and he's like pivoted everything. And he's he actually has a I'm trying to follow his playbook of like getting really, really popular and like being oversubscribed and all that stuff. Like he's an inspiration for sure. But it's a really good example of like, look, you don't have to be loud on LinkedIn to prove that you're a good sales leader. In fact, we're getting further and further away from that being a true indicator of your ability to lead, develop, do really good at your job. It means you're good at at, at content, you know? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that I tell my wife about the Kardashians. I'm like, just because everybody just because everybody likes to talk about them, just because they're on TV, just because they're they have a you know 50 million Instagram followers followers does not mean you should listen to literally anything they say. Like you, in fact, you probably shouldn't. You should, should not listen. Yeah. Um, and something that I very interestingly noticed and was actually brought to my attention by another sales leader is, and because this was this was brought up because of going disaster, is are all these remote influencers who have built their brand around their content going to be there? Right, and then we've seen some of them wrote posts afterwards about why they weren't there, making excuses, of course. Uh, But I think that was the most hilarious thing: is just because you're good at sales here doesn't mean you're good at human communication in real life. Sure. Right. Um, And once again, I'm just saying all the controversial things today. Apparently, well, yeah. Are you coming after me because I didn't go to Sasser? No, 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 no. You didn't make any excuses, so not coming after you. No. Um, Um. I want to go. But, I, I should have been there, man. I, you know, I feel like I know everybody, but yeah, it was it was definitely a great meeting. Like I met um, Omar of Trainio, uh, mm-hmm. George Suarez of Open Box, some people that I really wanted to meet in person. It was a fantastic meeting. Good them. dudes. I've connected yeah. with both those guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then you know, Bay Area had some of the greatest like Chinese and Indian food possible. While I was there. That was a, <laughs> that was the biggest upside, to be honest. Yeah, um, that does not hurt. Cool. <laughs> well, well, Matthew, I got a question for you. So let's talk a little bit about about how you got to the point of, of founding pause, you know, the question I normally ask people is like, how did you get your most recent job or promotion? And how can we learn from that for you? It's like, how did you, how did you get to the point of founding a company and what can we learn from that? Yeah. I mean, there, if I were to go through the entire story, that would take me like five, six hours. So I'm going to give it to you as short as possible. Um, I've always kind of been an entrepreneur at heart. Um, I've grown up with a physical disability, uh, which has always given me the, the fighting mindset. Right. If we look at fight or flight, I'm always fight. Right. I will never give up on something. Um, and that's my, my older sister says that's my greatest attribute. Even if I should give up, I don't. Yeah. Um, and so I, I launched my first company um, after I lost a potential job opportunity to work in the political realm as a PR manager for a local city council campaign here. Um, I started my own company, uh, my very first one. It was a drop shipping company for kitchenware. Um, I actually was doing pretty well. Um, Generated four thousand dollars in the first couple of weeks, and was you know going to use that to go back into marketing and didn't grow in it. But then my business partner left me to become a prison guard, um, so I was kind of left in debt there. And I was like, "That's a really weird transition, bro." But you do you, I guess. Um, yeah. Then I I started up my second company, 
um, and it was trading cards. Um, so it was kind of like a loot crate every month. Um, ended up growing that. And then the person who I'd hired as my head of marketing, she made a big mistake um, that ended up pretty much destroying what we were doing. So I sold the company right away um, and um, still had some bills to pay from the previous company. So that's when I kind of found SaaS. Um, you know, my, my father's a software developer, so I've always grown up with the very technical mindset side of things, very analytical, um, especially working in politics is what you have to be. And um, I, I found a boot camp through a Facebook ad. I'm not going to talk about that boot camp. Um, but, um, you know, that I broke into SaaS, really in spite of that boot camp, to be honest. But I found my first SDR role um, and just kind of fell in love with it. Um, and from there, you know, I still have that entrepreneurial heart of mine. Um, I think I read a post um, a couple weeks into being an SDR by Jed Marley, where he was talking about a certain app he wanted as an SDR. Um, and I don't know about you, but I get my greatest ideas when I'm on a walk listening to music, specifically hardcore trap. I don't know why it's that genre <laughs> of music. But that's what gets my creative ju juices flowing. Um, and uh, I started taking like, what do you put in that post? And was like, you know, I feel like I can create something really cool around this. Um, and so it really evolved from there um, into becoming a dialer, which I already had previous years upon years of experience with. Um, yeah. And so I paid somebody to develop an entire business plan for me. It's like 30 pages long. Um, it's like four grand to do plus, you know, graphic design, create our original UI UX designs, uh, create the first website, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then I brought my co-founder on at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and we just we just kind of started working together, putting our money together to continue building this dream out. And then in December of last year, um, we found an outsourced team that was referred to us based out of India. Um, yeah. So we paid them um, to start developing pods. Um, and then it was July of this year um, was when we launched our MVP and started getting people to actually use it. I believe that's around the time you and I originally spoke. Yeah, about pods. yeah, it was really early on. But but I liked what I what I saw there, and and anyone who's gonna you know make it easier to make more calls in less time is a fan of fan of mine. And I it's it. funny; it, it'll be interesting to follow pause as it develops and changes. Because mm -hmm. what I have found is I've consulted with companies that use probably any one of like six or seven different dialers, and uh, like my table stakes to getting involved with the company is you have to be using one. Like I, I'm not like super picky on what you use, but you have to be using one because listening to the phone ring is the enemy of productivity, right? Yep. And conversations are king. Like those are, those are things I'm going to put on my gravestone. <laughs> conversations are king. Like if your sales reps are not talking to people during the day, they are not working, you know? But exactly. um, it's interesting that I always find that like, the dialing companies choose a ICP or they choose kind of an identity and they like go down that road. And so it's hard to like change that it's hard to shift that dynamic of like what a dialer is supposed to be focused on, you know, like phone burners is kind of like the B2C dialer for a lot mm -hmm. of folks, like a lot of real estate agents and uh, attorneys and other people are, are using it. And, you know, connect and sell is trying to go like most of big companies and there's, there's like, they, they choose their lanes. So I'm curious to see kind of where, where pause ends up going. And maybe it's a, it's an idea for you that like part of the playbook of getting to a certain level of scale is picking a lane, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like leaning into like one direction and seeing how far you can take it with that direction. Yeah, exactly. You know, dialers have a ginormous TAM, you know, total adjustable market. Totally. Um, 
And so that's, I think the best place to start is just the generic SaaS sales leader world, trying to talk to directors of sales, VP of sales. Um, and I've, I've interviewed a lot of SDRs about dialing as well. Um, and I'll show them the platform and they're like, oh my God, I've never heard of dial- like a dialer before. This is amazing. Um, and yeah. I'm like, well, this is like, this is barely a thing. Like we've built, like this took a long time to build, right? However, right, there are dollars out there that do a lot more than mine. That's going to change very soon here. But um, yeah. the, the very basic essence of just being able to parallel dial, and for people that don't know what a parallel dialer is, right, that just enables you to call multiple people at the same time. Um, and I've had people tell me parallel dialing is illegal. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> exactly, right? That's, that's a short um, answer. No, it's not. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, for those of you who, well, I haven't said a whole lot about my background, but politics policy is what I did for a very long time. Um, especially California, right? CCPA compliance. But, yeah. um, so I, I'm in the state where you have to be most, most compliant, but, um, right. Just be able to make multiple calls at once and being able to right, our dialer, you can make five times the amount of calls that you would in a normal period of time. There's a lot of questions that come out of that. I'm not going to go over all, all the objections and that stuff right now, but I'm not even really trying to sell my dialer right now. And I'm just trying to go off of the importance of what you said, of just having a dialer in general, right? You said conversations are definitely king. And the amount of people that don't know what a dialer is, aren't using di- aren't using a dialer, or just aren't cold calling in general, it blows my mind, yep. right? I yeah. get people all the time tell me that they're not dialing. I ask them why, and I never hear a response. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, it, it takes, like, the, the it actually comes back to, like, one of your first arguments, which is, like, SDR job's not the hardest job. Well, mm-hmm. some of the tasks that SDRs are asked to do are the hardest things to do with the company. And mm-hmm. how can you tell that it's the hardest thing to do? Easy. Ask the CEO to make a cold call. He won't He won't do it. They, she won't do it. They won't do it. No way. Ask the VP of sales to make a phone call. They won't do it. Well, well, I, I can't. I, I, I'm busy today. I, I, you, know, I, you know better than I would. Like, I, no, it's because yeah. they have an ego, right? When you, yep. when you call and someone says, you say, hey, this is Kevin from Pause. How are you doing today? And then they say back to you, this is who? From where? There's that yep. little moment of ego death where you're like, it's Kevin. Duh. Don't you know me? No, they don't. And they don't care about you. So yep. that that is why like using a dialer creates – it lowers the – there's a whole psychological angle to why di- dialers are super effective. And a lot of it is the psychology of it lowers the effort to having to click go and then have the conversation. And that's where – that's where I'm a freak, right? I'm fanatical about this. Got an online course. You see my content on LinkedIn. Like I'm all about the process and structure about when you actually get into the call, how to do it and have the conversation. So companies like ours, we should partner together. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's I'm going to call out other parallel dialers in the space really quick. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. There's a reason that we do five parallel dials at once. There's a yeah. mathematical reason behind it. And not only that, but we tested it for one year and three months different numbers of dials being done at once. However, there's a couple things. One of the things you talked about, right, was making it easier for the rep, mm-hmm. right? And instead of, you know, type, uh, dialing in the phone number or clicking next call, whatever, right, that creates a block to do something, right? That makes it so you have to commit to do another task to get to the next part. But that's a huge part of the psychological aspect. But also, there's there's the rule of five in UI UX design as well, right? Then also from a memorization perspective. So all these things kind of come together. And so when you are calling five people at once, it's a lot easier to remember, you know, who you're potentially calling. Because right on the screen with pause, 
when you start dialing, it'll tell you the five people who you're calling, right? But nobody can tell the future. You're not, you don't know who's going to pick up until they do, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you have another dialer, um, we both know who I'm going to be talking about here. When you're doing 10 dials at once, <laughs> you are not going to be prepared no, that's to silly. answer that phone call, right? And that right. creates another barrier. Yeah. And then also there's another, the, the third and final thing, um, and then I'll stop venting, <laughs> is um, the, the chance of getting double or triple pickups, right? And the, the chance of losing a, pr a prospect because of that. Yeah. Um, five is kind of the optimal number where you get the most value possible, but the least chance of getting a double or triple pickup. Totally. Right, triple pickup is almost statistically impossible with that. Double pickup yeah. will happen eventually. But when you have 10 dials at once, you're almost guaranteed about one in three of those dials will be a double pickup. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, these are all these are all best practice things. Hey, everyone, yes. uh, everyone tune into the sales career podcast to hear about your sales career. But now they're learning all about how to use dialers. I love that. <laughs> and I, I appreciate it, man. Look, I, I wish we could chat for longer, but I think um, I think we got to wrap it up. Keep it short and sweet for the listeners here. How can people connect with you and what's the best way for them to to reach out? Yeah, I'm in LinkedIn. You just look up Matthew Robbins. Um, there's not a whole lot of people with my last name. That makes it a little bit easier. Um, yeah, be more than happy to connect. If you're the DEI space, sales leader space, or just want help um, rewriting a cold call script or anything, I'm always here to help. Love that. Awesome. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the Sales Career Podcast. And uh, let's, let's keep in touch, man. Cheers. Yes, sir. Have a good one. If this episode is interesting to you, please share your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter. Tag me and I might just feature your post in an upcoming episode of the Sales Career Podcast. Or if you want to connect directly, go to hopconsultinggroup.com and we'll find a way to work together. Cheers.